Hello and welcome to this New Mandala podcast. I'm Liam Gammon. I'm the editor of New Mandala. Thomas Lembong, or Tom Lembong, is the chairman of Indonesia's Investment Coordination Board and one of the most prominent reformist economic officials in the government of President Joko Widodo. He was in Canberra recently for the ANU's Crawford Leadership Forum, and on the sidelines of that conference, he made time to be interviewed for New Mandala by Hal Hill, who's the Heinz Arndt Professor Emeritus of Southeast Asian Economies at the ANU's Crawford School of Public Policy. In their conversation, they canvassed what the agenda is for economic policy in Jokowi's second term, as well as some of the broader issues of the politics of economic reform in Indonesia today. Before we get started, I'd just like to thank Serena Ford for taking care of the taping of this interview, and to Catherine Yen for preparing a transcript, which you can read at the New Mandala website. Here's Hal Hill introducing Thomas Limbong. So it's my great pleasure to be interviewing a most distinguished Indonesian citizen, uh, Honourable Thomas Limbong. Uh, Pat Tom, if I may call you Pat Tom, uh, has had a very distinguished career in many fields, um, uh, including in finance and business. And then for the past five years, he's been a member of President Jokowi's cabinet, initially, if I'm not mistaken, as trade minister, uh, and then uh, as head of the uh, Indonesian Coordinating Investment Board, the Baran Koordinasi Pananaman Modal which is a very important part of uh, very important part of Indonesian economic policy making and setting the business environment more generally. So Pat Tom, welcome. Thank you. Thanks thank for you having for, me. Ca- thank you for coming in winter when it's rather chilly. Um, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk. So uh, Pat Tom, may I start with a general question uh, sure. on the Indonesian economy? Of so uh, Indonesia's uh, economic performance has been has been very stable since the terrible period of the uh, Asian financial crisis, the Crismon. Uh, it's, it's average growth of 5 to 6% every year since the year 2000. And this is impressive. It's managed the global financial crisis uh, very effectively, managed diff- difficult global economic environment. I guess the question to begin with, Tom, is, is, is 5% growth enough? Um, is it enough uh, given, well, given that President Jokowi had a target of 7% at the beginning, uh, and presumably right. he'll say something like that second term, uh, and some of the other economies in the region, India, China, Vietnam, Philippines, are actually growing a bit faster. So Indonesia's growth is very right. stable, but is right. it fast enough? If it's not fast enough, how should uh, the right. growth be accelerated? Right. Sure, uh, Hal. It's true that uh, you know we're growing uh, at around 5%. Um, and what uh, President Jokowi has successfully done in his first term is to arrest the decline, if you will, right? Because when he took office uh, at the end of 2014, we were heading into our fourth consecutive year of decelerating, slowing uh, economic growth. And essentially by implementing a reform agenda, starting with uh, politically very difficult uh, fuel subsidy reforms, right? He was able to turn that around, essentially. Uh, so our GDP growth bottomed at around 4.5% in the second year of President Jokowi's term and has been on an upward trend ever since, um, hitting a high of around 5.17% or thereabouts. Now, is it fast enough? Clearly, no. Uh, where did President Jokowi get 7%? Frankly, World Bank and IMF estimate that to fully absorb all the new entrants to the labor force 
every year, we would need about 7%, which is true for probably India, Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and most uh, emerging countries, uh, emerging economies with our kind of demographics. Uh, how do we get there? Uh, there's really only one way, and that is structural reform, right? And that's what we've been working to do. Uh, admittedly, uh, progress has been uneven. Uh, I describe it as three steps forward, two steps backward, but we're generally headed in the right direction. And frankly, uh, maybe we lucked out a bit because lots of uh, other countries seem to be shooting themselves in the foot in one way or another, uh, whereas so far we've just been kind of uh, steady and consistent, maybe with a few ups and downs, but generally quite uh, stable, right? But to give an example, um, you know, the easiest way by far, and actually I would argue the most painless reform, is simply to open up more sectors of the economy to international investment and international involvement. And we've seen in sector after sector uh, how immediately capital floods in, yep. uh, growth in that sector goes into the double digits and beyond, uh, jobs are created, often high-quality jobs. And ironically, the entrenched incumbents, the local incumbents, who are most resistant to the market opening, uh, usually end up being the biggest beneficiaries and the earliest beneficiaries because suddenly all these international investors show up at their doorstep uh, wanting to invest in their companies and make them rich and liquid. Yes. Right? yes. <clears throat> so I think uh, we can certainly expect more of that kind of a market opening yes. in President Jokowi's yes. second term. Yes. Uh, uh, and I was going to add, um, in a way, President Jokowi came to office at quite a difficult time yes. because it was yes. just about at the end of the commodity boom. Correct. Uh, as Correct. in Australia, by the way. And in, in both countries, the expectations the community developed during the commodity boom for government to be able to spend money <laughs> endlessly right. uh, suddenly came to an end in both <coughs> countries. Right. Right. And that was, I think, President Jokowi's decision to very substantially reduce the uh, petroleum subsidies in late 2014 was surely one of the most important uh, achievements in the early days of his office. Indeed, can I, indeed. Can I follow up on, on your question of opening up the economy? Uh, which particular sectors, um, so you've had, what, 16 packages? Policy, uh, uh, reform pack packages, yeah, pack yes. Um, which have gone some of the way, but I guess there's still, it could be said, a substantial uh, agenda. Could you tell us a little bit about where you think some sure. of the agenda might go? <coughs> sure. Some of the quick wins, because these are always politically difficult. By definition, reform has winners and losers, but there's a net gain if, if it's done well. Well, Hal, uh, what we have already announced uh, and will be putting into, into implementation soon is in the trade agreement, uh, which we signed a couple of months ago between Indonesia and Australia. Uh, the CEPA, right, the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement. And that is, we're going to open the university sector uh, and the vocational training sector from currently 0% foreign ownership allowed overnight to 100% foreign ownership allowed. And, you know, this is very similar to three years ago when we opened the movie production, movie exhibition, and movie distribution from 0% foreign ownership allowed to 100% foreign ownership allowed. 
foreign capital, international capital flooded in. That had a big impact, didn't it? Very, very big, mm. uh, because it's uh, movie production, movie distribution, movie theaters uh, are a service sector uh, where uh, all the services are done by people uh, from movie production, you know, uh, costume design, costume creation, set carpenters, mm. catering, lighting, transportation is all jobs and high quality, high paying jobs. Uh, so, and since we opened up the movie sector, it's been growing 20, 25% per year, meaning it's doubling every three and a half years and creating a lot of high quality, high paying jobs in the process. Uh, so we expect the same with the university and higher education uh, sector. So that's one. The second thing which President Jokowi has already you know, commented publicly in the Indonesian local media is uh, in his next cabinet, uh, he wants what he calls implementers and executors, right? Uh, so I think we would have to admit that uh, the 16 policy packages that we have announced uh, are all conceptually good, but perhaps implementation in the field has been lacking, right? The president, anyway, is always focused on execution and implementation, but I think uh, after four and a half years in power, uh, he now really can judge who is likely to be uh, an effective implementer and executor uh, versus uh, not. Uh, so it's not only about the right policies and the right policy direction, it's really execution implementation uh, in the field. Actually, uh, Tom, I'm tempted to ask you for a news scoop. Who's going to be in the new cabinet? But I'll leave that to my Bloomberg colleague to ask you that, that, that obvious question. Uh, you mentioned, Pat, Tom, people being important in services, and that's what we know about services by, by their nature. So let me ask another question, if I may, related. Uh, I've been visiting Indonesia for about 45 years pretty regularly, and I've always come away with the impression that Indonesia is a very friendly country. Yes. I've, I've had a wonderful yes. time living and visiting Indonesia. Uh, but if you look formally at the visa and migration procedures and look at these various international rankings, uh, Indonesia doesn't come across as a particularly open international labour market compared to, obviously, Singapore, right, Malaysia, right. Thailand and others. <coughs> so I've always thought there's a somewhat of a disconnect between the friendliness of the people and the formal, rather restrictive right. regulation. So right. as part of the services opening up, do you see any change in the labour uh, labor regulations, in particular right. international migration <coughs> regulations? Right. Well, I would give two answers to that, Hal. The first answer is that, yes, I do. You know, I do expect uh, uh, us to internationalize more and be more open and more welcoming to people from the outside world. Um, frankly, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, at street level, our people are welcoming, you know, warm, uh, are curious about foreigners, uh, love to uh, chit-chat with foreigners and and find out about them, uh, very, very friendly. The first uh, question you asked is Darimana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but of course, the ones who control our immigration policies are the elites, right? And it's really us elites uh, who try to uh, make the economy restrictive and closed because that puts us in a privileged position, right? Uh, so it's the business elites uh, in conjunction with the political elites 
uh, who are constantly promoting protectionist policies to shield ourselves from international competition, which would actually create jobs and also lower prices and improve quality for consumers. Uh, but look, that's, that's totally breaking down. Um, you know, uh, the second answer uh, from me, Hal, is really the internet, right? <clears throat> and as President Jokowi has mentioned on many occasions, uh, the internet is truly borderless, uh, and it means the death of distance. Yes. One way or another, uh, our people will meet uh, and will intermingle and socialize, whether it's uh, in person uh, or via Facebook and Instagram and you know YouTube uh, and uh, and and other internet media. Um, and over time, I think uh, it's it's absolutely uh, going to be a much more open, you know, and welcoming uh, economy, you know. Uh, and, and society. Yes. A related question, but Tom, if I may ask you, is looking back on your period in Cabinet, the five years in the Investment Board and Trade Ministry, I guess it would not be unreasonable to describe you as a, a liberal reformer, <laughs> um, along with uh, uh, my good friend Ibu Srimoyani and others. So uh, we know reform is always difficult. There's go- almost, if it's done well, there's always going to be a net gain for society and the economy. But there are going to be micro winners and micro losers. And what's always struck me about Indonesia is when it has reformed, it's been successful. The best example probably is the mid-1980s when Ali Wadana <coughs> did yes. dramatic reform and Indonesia yes. came through that difficult period yes. very successfully. Looking back over your five years in Cabinet, uh, what are some of the general lessons you draw out? So the old model under Suharto was top-down. Right. You went to right. the Bapa, persuaded right. him, as Wijoyo right. uh, and Ali did, and you got the reform. Now, of course, Indonesia is one of the most democratic, fluid, right. pluralistic societies. So what are your reflections on how to do successful reform, winning over constituencies, getting people on side? Well... I know uh, it's a very broad question. <coughs> sure, Hal. Um, well, we're, you know, what one might call the reformist faction in a cabinet, yeah. uh, which I'm, you know, obviously a poster boy and yes. also a favorite whipping boy <laughs> of. <laughs> that goes with the territory, uh, doesn't it? <clears throat> right. Yeah. So we're very fortunate because uh, President Jokowi is a uh, sincere and ardent reformer, yeah. right? So even though the reformist faction is a minority in the cabinet, we have the president on our side, right? And he understands at a very deep level the power of reform. Uh, What I always argue is that in actuality, uh, the payback to reform is very fast. Uh, My estimate is about three years, right? So that actually fits inside one electoral cycle. you know, and in Indonesia, we have a five-year presidential term. Uh, so you actually can harvest the fruits and success of that reform before your next election, mm-hmm. provided you start right away. You know, if you delay by 12 or 18 months, you're screwed mm-hmm. because you inflict all the controversy mm-hmm. and the pain, right? But you don't get to harvest mm-hmm. the fruits of that mm-hmm. reform mm-hmm. before uh, the next election, yeah. right? So the key, really, for any government in the world, I think, is to start early in your term uh, so you can show the results before you have to run for re-election. Now, in this case, uh, President Jokowi is headed into his 
second and final five-year term. Yes. So this he no longer has to worry about This is the last chance. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think, uh, I believe that he is keenly aware that whatever he does in this next five-year term will set the tone and lay the foundations for the next uh, 15 to 20 years, right? Uh, as you can imagine, uh, he is uh, in periodic, regular dialogues with the next generation of leaders, you know, the up-and-coming younger generation of governors, mayors, uh, political leaders who are leading candidates to run for president, vice president in 2024. And uh, I think uh, my observation is that the outlook for that is very, very bright because I detect almost no policy disagreement mm -hmm. from this next generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, people like, uh, you know, West Java Governor mm -hmm. Ridwan Kamel. Uh, Ridwan, yes. Yeah, yes. or uh, East I Java I Governor Kofi Fah, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. or Jakarta Governor Anis, or South Sulawesi Governor Nordin Abdullah. I've never heard any disagreement with the president's reformist mm -hmm. policy agenda. If anything, they might uh, try to deepen and accelerate uh, this reform agenda should they come into power uh, post-2024. Uh, but you're right, it no longer is a dictatorship system, you know, no longer that sort of top-down hammer. And so you do have to you know, bring people along. You do have to create a narrative around it, right? And share success stories. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, in my experience, the entrenched local incumbents who are most resistant to reforms are often the biggest and earliest beneficiaries mm -hmm. of the reform, mm -hmm. you know? So one year, two years later, they've become rich yes. uh, and they drop all their opposition yes. Yes. Uh, to those reforms. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> so this notion that reform is painful uh, and has a long payback uh, is not what has proven to be the case in my experience uh, over the last five years. I think they're very important and pertinent observations. Uh, I've always thought the best, the most insightful piece, uh, uh, academic article on reform under President Suharto was by uh, my good late friend, Hadi Sassastro, head of CSIS. He wrote a very insightful piece on how reform operated under Suharto. And we haven't really seen a good detached academic piece on um, under in the democratic era, so maybe sometime I will I'd like to ask you to write that paper when, when you when you've retired. <laughs> so, uh, final question that I'll, I'll hand over. Final question is situating Indonesia in the broader regional and global right, context. Right. So, these are very difficult times. The global financial crisis ten years ago. We're still got serious problems with monetary policy, zero interest rates. Now we've got trade wars on the horizon and looking like they may eventuate. Indonesia, in some ways like Australia, uh, the two dominant economic and strategic powers are US and China. And as much as possible, we want to sit on the sidelines because we don't want to get involved in the battle of the giants, but uh, we may have to. And I wonder what your thoughts are. First of all, we have to get our own houses in order, you know, fiscal prudence, and so we don't have too much debt to worry about if interest rates go up, but, but there's a broader issue of the uh, weakening of the global and regional architecture, uh, WTO under threat, uh, you know, all, the other, all the other problems. I wonder what your thoughts are on how we navigate our way through these perilous waters. I believe that uh, Indonesia has a bit of a luxury 
uh, to be in the middle, right? Uh, it really hit me very strikingly uh, four and a half years ago uh, when I went to Nairobi, a WTO summit, uh, as trade minister for the first time. And, you know, Indonesia is so smack in the middle. Uh, we're a large country, fourth most populous country in the world, 16 largest economy in the world now. And going to become the fifth rates. on most projections. Uh, so the large economies, the big countries respect us, right? And, and care what we have to say. But we're not giant. You know, we're not, you know, these superpower giants uh, that uh, smaller countries might find intimidating. So we're still, you know, small enough uh, that the smaller countries feel very comfortable talking to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a G20 economy, as I mentioned, at market exchange rates, number 16, at PPP, maybe higher already. Number nine at PPP. <clears throat> right. Um, so we're a sizable economy, but we're still a developing economy as well. Right? We're still a third world country. As a G20 economy, as a trillion dollar per year GDP, uh, the big economies, again, want to hear what we have to say, but the emerging markets, the developing countries, uh, feel a kindred spirit as well. So I was struck by how perfectly in the middle we are. And so certainly for Indonesia, I think we can be a bridge, we can be the common ground. Now, uh, President Jokowi is a lifelong businessman. Uh, He will tend to approach most challenges, most issues with a strongly entrepreneurial spirit, right? He will try to identify what are the opportunities, uh, what is the opportunity in adversity, right? Uh, we have faced so many global challenges from climate change to uh, at this uh, ANU Crawford uh, lecture series today uh, it was brought up about uh, microbial resistance, antibiotic resistance. Uh, we have uh, ocean debris, uh, plastic pollution, <coughs> air pollution. Uh, but each of these global challenges represents multi-billion dollar business opportunities, right? Uh, so if I had to guess, I would predict that President Jokowi will be constantly pushing for these business opportunities mm-hmm. to collaborate, to work together, right? Uh, to find common ground, to tackle jointly the global challenges that we face. Well, on that very hopeful note, let me thank you very much for being available for the interview. Thank you, Hal, for having uh, and, me. And uh, we greatly appreciate you visiting Canberra, especially in Muzim Dingin. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.